0: that was very sweet. Pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. So um, you've had digital running through pretty much all of your career. At The Guardian, you oversaw the launch of the first digital edition. At EasyJet, you created probably one of the poster childs for digital transformation that all of us regurgitate every time we're trying to win a pitch. (laughs) Um, You um, invested in the Founders Factory and launched a digital incubator. Now at ITV you want to take on Amazon and Netflix? No big deal. No. I'm exaggerating. So I'm really keen to understand where did your digital DNA really start? Was it in the DNA? Have you always been into this space? Tell us the story.
1: Yeah, I don't think I knew it was, to be honest with you. I mean I just um, I was very lucky because when I was at The Guardian, I'd come through the commercial ranks, I'd done sales, marketing and then general management. And um, I was asked to launch Wired UK, so that How's meant I had to go and meet Wired in the States, and it was amazing. You know, I got to know Louis Rosetto and Jane Metcalf very well. And uh, they said to me you know you're the most digital person at the Guardian I was like well, what's that what's the most digital person do but it was amazing because I, I got to work with them very closely I worked in San Francisco we had a great team at the Guardian who launched Wired here um, and it was just the most amazing experience learning experience because you know the first time I really saw a website in action was Hot Wired and that was what they created was really early days but it was an amazing thing for me because as a result of that i set up a recruitment website actually initially um in 1993 right so wired was 1993-94 and we set up this recruitment website and um, the guy i worked with a guy called tony aggie who still is around um said "Shall we just scrape all the jobs out, ad- job ads and i was like. Are we allowed to do that? And he was going, yeah, it doesn't matter. We're with The Guardian, it does matter. But actually, you know, when you think of what people do now in terms of scraping and aggregation and not asking for your permission for anything, it was like a brief, it was a genius idea. Um, So anyway, so that's that. And then I launched The Guardian website. So that was my early experience. And it sounds like, you know, people were still calling it the, what do they call it? The internet super hardware in those days. It's ridiculous how long ago that was. It was about 25, 26 years. So I was lucky. I was really felt I was in the right place at the right time for that.
0: And and tell us a little bit about the the digital ambition at ITV or just your ambition
1: for ITV. At ITV? Well, look, I think that ITV has done so well for so long. You know, it's going to be 60 years old next year. And it's this amazing creative machine. And it's also highly commercial, which is a really odd combination. I can't see everyone over there. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a really amazing combination when you get it right. I think the issue we have is a brand issue, which you touched on, which is we're seen as very comfortable and cozy and you know very warm, but we're not seen to be modern or contemporary. So most of our dramas are attributed to Netflix. If you ask sample groups, so that's an issue, the brand thing, where we've got to really make it a much more relevant, contemporary brand. And the second thing is that there was no investment really in digital, effectively in tech in uh, data, in analytics, in that whole area of machine learning and experimentation, that that whole area was under invested. And so the first part of the strategy is brand and really getting that whole investment right and making sure we get results. And the next step, I think, of what we have to do is transform ITV digitally. So I don't talk about that very much. I feel very comfortable talking about that in this environment. And I know this isn't off the record, but I have not really said that you know, very overtly yet because we were discussing, you know, what does that mean? Right? People start thinking, what does that actually mean? And what it means to me is that kind of everywhere you can use technology to either make things easier for the consumer, customer, or to make it easier for the people who work for you. So whether that's HR, whether that's finance, or wherever it is, that's kind of digital transformation. It's not necessarily what you see on the screen. Of course, the apps and the web, and you know all the stuff we do. Streaming is going to be important. Couldn't do streaming without digital. But those are, those are all. That's all part of trans, transforming yourself as a, as a company. For sure. Okay.
0: Great. Thank <laughs> you. That
1: was a long answer. That was a good answer. I <laughs> hope. It was a good <laughs> answer. <laughs>
0: um, so, so you've succeeded in some pretty challenging environments. Um, you must have had an interesting time with the founder, at EasyJet. Uh, often in traditional environments, you seem to be someone that relishes a, a challenge. Perhaps is that the case? And if so, could you share with these hundred emerging leaders what you would, what advice you would impart upon them as they face into to their own challenges? Well,
1: look, you know, I think you have to know yourself. You know, it's really important that I know that if if I had joined ITV a decade ago or fifteen years ago, it wouldn't have been right for me because. There wouldn't have been an intellectual challenge about where where do we position ourselves on streaming with, with netflix and amazon and apple coming on and disney coming on what, you know what does itv and the bbc got to say about that that's intellectually quite challenging but it's also exciting um but it's a risk right so i think you have to know yourself when i took the job at easyjet i mean i know my friends thought i was mad because I had no, when they phoned me about EasyJet, I said, I think you've made a mistake. I think you're, you know, I mean, I'm not the right. Why are you talking to me? I've got, a little, I've got 24 years of media experience. So when I found out that it was actually a customer problem and a, a uh, people problem, like people at EasyJet were very demoralized, and it was an operational problem, but there were lots of people who knew what to do with the operation. But there was a brand issue. Um, then I thought, well, actually, I can do that. But it was a massive risk. And, you know, I knew about stenos, I didn't know quite how that I might get at any stage, but I did know that he owned 36% of the company. So I think what I'm saying is, you know, I was prepared to take the risk. So, Cause I thought that, you know, after 24 years in media, someone would give me a job back in media if I screw this up. But, uh, you know, it, it was hard. I mean, it's very hard yards and turnarounds and transformations are very, very difficult. And so you have to know whether you have the energy, the stamina, the resilience, the thick skin sometimes, the, you know, your share price is up, it's down. You're one minute you're a hero, next minute it's like, what is she doing? You know, does she know anything about airlines or aviation, you know, all of that. You've just got to let it wash over you and do what you think is right. So I think know yourself. And then I think as a leader, it's really important that you listen. I mean, I learned more from the crew at EasyJet and the pilots. Um, and also from the people of ITV, the people that are actually making the news and creating the programs, the people who are selling the advertising, um, than I have from any textbook or from anything that, you know, you, they will tell you what is going well and what is going really badly. You just had to sit in the galley in the, with the crew and they would tell you what was wrong. And you'd go back and say, okay, we need to fix one, two, three, four, five. So listening to both customers and your own people. I think are really important and then the third thing i would say other than the resilience point i've made is this is an age of real uncertainty and turbulence and no one quite knows what direction everything is going so i think you as a leader have got to ride that bit i think you've got to try and you, you just have to expect that that is the way it's going to be so i think anyone who sits there leading an organization that thinks it's going to be the same even in a year's time or six months time it's kind of very naive today, because everything changes at such a pace. So I think for your people then, absorbing some of that uncertainty and giving clarity in terms of strategy and direction becomes really, really important. Because otherwise, if you get overly anxious about the uncertainty, you project that in everything you do. So I think rising above that, but actually accepting that that is just the way it's gonna be and trying to find clarity through it is really important in leadership today. And I'm not sure anyone would have said that 10 years ago.
0: So um, diversity and inclusion is a really big deal for us at Beamer, and hopefully if you look around the room, you can see that that's the case, but it's also a really big deal I think, for you. In fact, you named your daughter after Emily Pankhurst, right, the political mm-hmm. activist that um, helped women gain their right to vote. And throughout your career, you have championed the, the progress of women. So, yeah,
1: and other, other um, things. I, I think it's, a, it's kind of crosses over into many other areas. Well, tell us, it? where yeah. did it start?
0: What really drives you? What do you think about it all?
1: Well, I just think it's kind of... For me, it's just an obvious thing. So I think that I was brought up in India... So I was born and brought up in India. My grandmother's Anglo-Indian. Um, I have a... Diff- you know, I, ne- I... For me, it was just always just the, the right normal thing to do. It's just the right thing to do. So I had a I had parents who never kind of had... They didn't have high expectations of me, but they didn't uh, they didn't make me feel... It's like they didn't have any expectations. You know, they just expected me to be a good person. They didn't expect me to do this, that, and the other. But they also just allowed me to, they always said, whatever you want to do, you're going to be able to do. It. And I think that from a gender, from a female perspective, that's quite uh, important. I think that's shaped me. Because I've never gone into jobs going, oh, I don't think I can do this. I, don't think I'm. I always think I'm going to have to learn a lot, but I'm going to be able to learn. Right? I'm going to learn it, and I'm going to be able to do it. So I think there's a really, that's an important thing in it for, for, for women, for anyone, for men and women, that's an important thing. So where I've, wherever I've gone, I've just always tried to make sure that whether it's an executive committee or a management committee or a board or whatever it might be, that there's balance on it. Because, I mean, I chaired Opportunity Now, I mean, 15 years ago, and that was all about equality. And it was like, you know, just give people the opportunity, all people the opportunity, to go for those jobs. And you've just got to get more and more people, women, people from different ethnic backgrounds, disability, you've just got to get them in the pipeline. Because if if you get to a stage where you're looking for a CFO or a CMO or or an HR director, and the only pool of candidates you've got internally are, are, there's no pipeline, there's no one coming up, then you restrict your choice and you're worse off for it, I think. So I think there's loads people can do about you know um, I- I- encouraging more diversity and inclusion. I, I think there's a lot of companies should be thinking about more. I think the thing that I hate more than anything is when people quote medians and means because they go, "Oh, our median is this, and we're ju- we're a bit better than the national average." Mm-hmm. You think, "Yeah, it's still shit." <laughs> <laughs> so I just don't. I, I, Change internally because people then make themselves feel better. They say, we're better than them, we're better than... The, the, I would not I'm going to say the BBC We're better than X or Y or Z. And you think, so what? They might have got it wrong. So I think, you know, really... I mean, if you're... All of you, really, as leaders, can make a huge difference by just banging on about, you know, being more flexible about work, uh, diverse shortlists. So whenever I see a shortlist, I will say, okay, well, some, I want a diverse shortlist. I don't just want the same white candidates, men usually, right? I don't, I want to see it. Up. So I think there's loads we can do, um, all of you can do to make that
0: happen. Okay, last question. So um, things are changing pretty quickly. Um, Is there one thing that's happening or that you see happening in the world in front of you that really excites you, that you can share with us? Sorry, it's a trick question because we can talk about it outside. Well, I
1: mean, I think technology can be a huge force for good. But I think we have to watch it as well. So although it's very exciting, I've always loved, I'm an early adopter and I love trying out new stuff. And I was, you know, easier we were using AI and neural networks and, you know, right from the word, like 2010, we were just doing a lot of that. Um, And I think that's all very exciting. And I think, you know, I love a smart home and I love all of that excites me. I think we have to also be really careful about the use of technology and our information, our digital footprint, and how that can be used and sometimes abused. Um, And so I'm suspicious now of quite a lot of stuff online. In a way, I just wouldn't have been a few years ago. So I think there's always a downside to excitement.
0: Thank you. Okay, so there's just one last thing I have to do, which I think is give you your reward.